This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. It's Zoomer Radio's Theater of the Mind with Frank Proctor. Open your mind as we fill your head with amazing thrills, chills, <laughs> and laughs. Theater of the Mind, the best love programs from radio's golden age, only on Zoomer Radio. Now, here is your master storyteller, Frank Proctor. Well, thank you, and good evening. Welcome to the show. Adventure awaits in part one of Theater of the Mind. We're due for a visit from Nick Carter, Master Detective. Uh, interesting note about the author and co-creator. Uh, he also wrote for The Shadow. Uh, he was fired. His name was uh, Gibson. Uh, he was fired when he asked for a raise in 1946 and then became the head writer for the Nick Carter radio series. Now, oddly enough, he never liked to write scripts for the radio version of The Shadow, although both characters were published by Street and Smith. So here's the episode entitled Records of Death. Like to know. How long ago did you buy this box at the auction? A little over a month ago. 
on the express company. Must have had it for about a year or so. Another thing. Were there any wrappings on the box when you bought it? Yes, it was well-wrapped in heavy burlap. You have those wrappings now? I'm sorry to say I don't. By the time I realized that the wrappings might have furnished a clue to the mystery, they'd been burned in the incinerator. Too bad. Well, do you have any chance, whatever, recall the name and address to which the box was consigned? Fortunately, I do. It was addressed to an Alex Delanois in New York City. But I've searched every city directory, every telephone book, every place where names are listed, and I can find no such name anywhere. There was no street address. The rest of the label, as I remember it, was practically obliterated. I see. All right, Mr. Field, let's listen to the records. And gladly. I'm very anxious to get your opinion of them. Are they in any kind of order? Well, after hearing them over and over as I've done, I believe that I've finally arranged them in their proper order. I see. They're so peculiar, I can hardly wait to see if you can tell me the answer. Here's the first one. I have a terrible story to tell. But even while I try to tell it, I'm afraid that you who may listen to this will not believe me. But I beg you, if justice means anything to you, believe me and avenge me. I shall rest easier in my grave if I know that those who hope to profit by my death have been deprived of the fortune they plan to get by killing me. I am very rich, but I am not rich enough to avoid the fate that is in store for me. She sounds as if she meant it, doesn't she? I thought he was coming in, but he went away. I've tried several times to escape, but I've failed each time. I wish I could tell you where I am, but I can't, because I was drugged when they brought me here. Oh, I, I forgot to say... My name is Nancy Deering, and I'm 22 years old. You who listen to this will recognize the name at once, of course. I only hope they don't murder me until I can... Is that the end of it? Not quite. He almost caught me that time. But now he's left me alone again. Maybe I can... That's all. Apparently, he came back before she expected him. She certainly had plenty of trouble getting a story out of the records, didn't she? Yes. She was interrupted many times, generally in the wrong places. I imagine no trouble is too great if you're really desperate. What a terrible feeling it must be to expect to be killed any minute. Here's the second record, if you're ready. Okay, Pete. I don't know where I left off with my story last time. And I dare not play it back. If they should ever hear what I'm trying to do, they take the machine away from me. Then I'd be completely lost. I feel that my end is coming very soon now. They may carry out their plans to... In the gloaming, oh, my darling, when the lights are soft and low, and the flickering... I think he's gone now. I'm sure Ralph was listening at the door, but the singing apparently convinced him I was listening to the radio. When the time comes, I know it will be Ralph who killed me. Olive will undoubtedly help him, but Ralph is the leader. I found that out the other day when they tried to get me to sign the papers which will give them possession of my fortune. I shall never sign but that... When the light hearts Too bad she didn't succeed better. She managed to get most of her story on the record one way or another. The only thing she really missed out on was telling us more about herself than just her name. 
probably never occurred to her that the records might travel thousands of miles before someone would hear them. Yeah, here's the third record. Last night, somebody searched my rooms while I was in bed. Maybe they suspect that I'm making these records. Although I'm very careful. I play the radio all the time so they'll be used to hearing the noise. Ralph told me yesterday he was sure I was going crazy. Maybe I... Nancy, Olive asked me to tell you that. And that ends that. Whose voice did you suppose that was there at the end? I suspect it was Ralph's. It's amazing how much of the scene she recreates this way without really saying anything definite. To feel the tension and suspense right along with her. Yes. On the fourth record, she was able to get part of the visit that Ralph paid her one day. She must have known he was coming and prepared for it by putting the record blank on the machine in advance. Then when she heard him at the door, she probably turned it on. Got this. We'll put it on quickly, Mr. Here are, Miss Bourne. Well, my beautiful young half-sister, have you decided to sign over your fortune to me? I told you long ago I'd never do that. Your sign will set you free, just as we promised. You don't fool me, Ralph. The minute I sign my name to that paper you have there, you'll kill me. You know that as well as I do. You'll set me free. That's funny. Ah, you don't know when you're well off, Nancy. If you did, you'd sign and go free. You must think I'm a fool, Ralph. I do. And I also think it won't be long before you wish you had signed. Oh, I wish this were all over. I wonder how they'll kill me. Ralph would prefer to tangle me, I'm sure. With a That's all there is on that one. It's a pity she couldn't have put more on each record than she did. She really used only a small portion of each blank. Yes, Bessie, but she had trouble enough to get even that much on it, the way they watched her. Nick, when could she get the blank records in the first place? She certainly wouldn't have let her have them knowingly. If I were to make a guess, Bessie, I'd say that when they took her to the place where she was kept prisoner, they probably took along her clothes and some of the furnishings. Mm-hmm. And among them probably was this radio phonograph. Perhaps she specially asked for it because she loved music or something, and the record blanks were probably the machine along with the other records. Mm, that could be. Uh, how about the fifth record, Mr. Field? I've never been able to make much out of this one. Maybe you'll have better luck. You mean it's not like the others? Quite different. Here, I'll start it near the end. The whole first part is just scratch and nothing else. <laughs> Nancy grabbed Ralph's pistol and took a quick shot at him, but she missed. 
Of course, you could pull the trigger again. He took the gun away from her. Good grief, Mr. Carter. It's clear enough when you tell it. Well, here's the sixth one. I'm in a hurry. The time is very short. I may be interrupted any minute. I'm seldom left alone anymore. They seem to be afraid of what I'll do if I'm left alone. I wonder that they haven't killed me before this. I wonder if they... There's nothing but scratch for quite a bit here, but she starts again. Olive came in. I had to stop. Now she's gone for a few minutes at least. Yesterday I wrote a letter to my father and I threw it out the window, hoping someone would find it and mail it. But Ralph found it and brought it back to me and laughed at me. I keep asking him for news of my father, but he'll tell me nothing. If father only knew where I am, he'd rescue me. Maybe if I can just... And that's the end of that. We didn't get much out of it. I wonder where her father comes into this. You don't say before we're through. This seventh racket is more interesting. Because it records a complete conversation between Nancy and Ralph. Good. Let's hear it. Oh, 
That is, you won't get it unless you're planning on murdering my father, too. After you forged a new will for him to leave behind him. You're smart, aren't you? Guessed it the first time. No. No, you wouldn't. You couldn't. No, why not? He's not my father. And we want his fortune for ourselves. I can't believe such inhuman creatures as you two really exist. <laughs> Our mother bore a strange lot of children, didn't she? On one hand, we have you, my saintly Nancy. And on the other hand, we have the twins, Olivet and me, who are anything but saintly. <laughs> yes, life is very strange sometimes. Get out! Get out of me! I'm all my God! I'm with you! That's an excellent idea, Nancy. I'll be gone for about 15 minutes. If you're wise, you won't be alive when I return. Goodbye. I hope forever. You heard what he said? It was the best evidence I could get. Ralph really made a full confession without knowing that every word he said was being preserved for you to hear. My father... terribly moved when I hear that record. She never had a chance, really. Well, let's hear the next one. That's the ninth, isn't it? Yeah. Number nine is almost a blank. Here it is. They almost caught me that time. They mustn't do that because they might find the records I've already made and destroy them. They're both coming back in a few minutes, but maybe I can... Is that all there is on that one? That's all. That's the end of the record. There's one more, isn't there? Yes. Uh, number ten. The first two-thirds of it's blank. It starts here. Stand back, both of you. What you what see on tomorrow? You know I can shoot. Shoot straight. I'll kill the first one of you to move. Oh, That's my gun. Where did you get it? I'll to me so I can defend myself. That's a lie you know. What is this? That's the end of the last record. Poor Nancy. She certainly got a tough break. 
I truly believe that's the most remarkably told tragedy in history. Oh, well, Mr. Carter, have you got any ideas? I have, but I'm not ready to talk about them yet. Well, what's the next step now, Nick? Well, first of all, Patsy, I want to examine the other contents of the box thoroughly. I can look them over more intelligently now that I've heard the records. Then I want to play those records over and over until I know them by heart. And then? Then I expect to be able to give you the answer to the problem. sandwich in your pocket, Patsy? Oh, Nick, I thought you'd never finish listening to those records. Well, I want to be sure I didn't miss anything anyway. And I believe I've learned everything those records could tell me. You mean you really found some clues, Nick? Yes, indeed, Patsy. There are several clues marked out for us very plainly. Oh, that's wonderful. But first, I want to go over that list from ahead of the other things that were in that box addressed to Alex Delanois. Of course, Nick. Let me see now. Um, yes, here it is. Opera cloak with label Felix and Company Toronto. And a beautiful and expensive thing it was, too. Silk slip with the name Olivette Dupre pinned on it. Wish I could wear silk like that. That's it. A silk slip with the name Nancy Deering pinned to it. A New Testament with the name Evangeline Dupre on the flyleaf. Several rings, all very valuable. A real pearl necklace. And some beautiful and very expensive lace. Also, of course, the bloodstained nightdress, which must have been the one that Nancy was murdered in. And the three snapshots, of course. Oh, yes. One with the name Olivette on the back. One with the name Ralph, and one with the name Evangeline Dupre Deering. Whoever packed that box knew exactly what he was doing, Patsy. All ties together beautifully. He or she has given us all the clues he could to the people concerned in the affair. Evangeline Dupre Deering must have been the mother. Yes. She had two children, twins, Ralph and Olivet, by her first marriage. Then she married Nancy's father, a man named Deering. But that doesn't get as much nearer a solution, Nick. Oh, but it does, Patsy. Did you notice that all the voices we heard in the records were American? Well, yes, I guess they were. And yet the names are mostly French, aren't they? Mm-hmm. Now, where do we find a combination like that around here? Why, in Canada, I suppose. Exactly. And the label on the opera cloak says Toronto, which confirms the Canada idea perfectly. You mean that the Deerings lived in Toronto? Well, it's certainly quite logical to assume that the scene of the murder is Canada, and very possibly in the vicinity of Toronto. Well, we start there anyway. Maybe the Toronto police can help us. But, Nick, even if you're right, it doesn't mean that the police would know anything about the murder. Was all done so secretly. You're overlooking one thing, Patsy. I am? What is it? The family from which these people came was a rich family. Very rich indeed, if we may guess from the beautiful laces and from the jewelry and other things packed in the box. Mm -hmm. And remember also that Nancy's father was probably killed too. Now, I can't believe that the head of a rich and probably well-known family could disappear without anyone knowing it. You mean you think the police will know that something happened to him about a year ago, even if they don't think that there's anything wrong about it? Exactly. So pack your bag, Patsy, and order a taxi to take us to the airport. We're flying to Toronto immediately. I'm very happy to welcome you back to Toronto, Mr. Carter. It's been many years since you've been up here to see us. Thanks very much, Chief. Now, you mind if I ask you a few questions? Of course not. Go right ahead. Did you get a letter about a year ago telling that a murder had been done? that if you wanted proof, you should claim an express box sent to New York City in the name of Alex Delanois. Wait a minute. Why, George Carter, we did get just such a letter. But we thought it was the work of a crank and destroyed it. Do you mean it was true? I have every reason to believe it was. Now, another question. Would you know anything about a girl named Nancy Deering or about her father? For heaven's sake, Carter, what do you know about the Deering family? You answer my question first, I'll answer yours. What about the Deering? Uh, the father, Charles Deering, is, is or was the younger son of an English nobleman. He was immensely rich, had a house here in town, a country place called Deering Hall. 
He married a woman with two children, twins, I believe. And she died when his daughter Nancy was born. He was always prominent in local affairs up to about a year ago when he said to have disappeared. Hasn't been seen since. I understand he started for Deering Hall, but never arrived there, according to his two stepchildren. What about his daughter, Nancy? Nancy was brought up by relatives in Montreal. Few people here know her at all. But as I remember it, she was supposed to have disappeared just before her father did. Although I now understand that she was at Deering Hall with her half-brother and sister all the time. You say Nancy didn't disappear after all? No. As a matter of fact, she was here in Toronto this past week. She believes her father is dead, so she's applied for letters of administration for the estate. I thought so. You did? What do you know about it? Enough to know that this girl who calls herself Nancy Deering isn't Nancy Deering at all. She's an imposter whom the stepchildren have brought in to impersonate her. Chief, we got to get out to Deering Hall at once. Dealing estate turns off somewhere right in here, Carter. I'm not quite sure. Well, look, Chief. There's a man standing in the road up ahead. Oh, so there is. And he's motioning to us to stop. He looks almost like a dwarf, doesn't he? Uh, certainly a queer-looking individual. Yes, we are up to you. I'm going to the oil. Yes, we are. Why? Could you take me back there? I have walked so far. I am tired out. Oh, of course. Climb in. What? You are a policeman, no? Yes, I am. Oh, then you can help me. Then I need help so very much. What seems to be the trouble? My name is Alex Delanois. I am the... Alex Delanois? Oh, yes. You know me. You once sat a box packed with records and other things in New York City addressed to yourself? Oh, but yes, you have seen it. Yes, that's why we're here. Tell me, how did you ever happen yes, to... Yes, I will tell you everything. I was the caretaker at the hall. Miss Deering, let me stay in one of the old tower rooms... Because I am, as you see, a cripple. Sometimes I, I do not get out of bed for days at a time. About a year ago, the two stepchildren of those so very wicked devils came to the hall. They brought a girl who was kept a prisoner in one of the bedrooms. Alex, isn't that the hall, road to the hall just ahead? No, oh, but yes. The hall is about a half a mile in off this road. Go on with your story, Alex. Yeah, uh, the, the girl was so carefully guarded by those two, I could not get to her room. I could not help her. I am a cripple. No, you did what you could, Alex. You being there helped her, I know. How did you manage to get the things packed in the box? After they killed Nancy, they did not guard their room so carefully. I got in. I took the records and the other things and packed them in the box. A fisherman I know up by the lake sent the box by experts for me. I wrote to the police in Toronto and in New York and told them what had happened and asked them to claim this box. But I am afraid they did not do it. No, we didn't. We thought the letter was just a hoax. What about Nancy's father? Ah, the day after Nancy was killed... He came here, and they tried to kill him, too. Tried to? You mean they didn't succeed? No, no, not quite. They hit him on the head with a pistol and threw him into the lake from the high cliff. Ah, but I saw them do it, and I rescued him. I took him to my home and nursed him myself until he could get a doctor. How is he now? He's about well now, I think. There's the house right ahead, Nick. Drive right up to the door, Chief. I'll go ahead. You keep in the background in case they know you. Okay, Carter. I'll be right behind you. Alex, 
You and Patsy stay here in the car. Oh, but of course. Sure, Nick. Yes? What is it, please? Please tell Miss Deering that we've come to take some affidavits concerning her application as administratrix for the estate. Yes, sir. Come in, please. I'll announce you. It's your turn now, Chief. I'll stand here one side of the door, just in case. I can handle them, Carter. Maybe, but they better be... Quiet. Here they come. Well, gentlemen, what can we... Dr. Gray, I arrest you and your sister Olivette for the murder... I'll take that gun to play with me. Oh, no, you don't, you don't know. This pair of handcuffs will take care of you. Oh, get rid of you. Do you have any help, Carter? Oh, I can see you. Nice work, Carter. Pair of handcuffs on him. They both keep safely till we can put them behind the bars. And we can now restore Deering Hall to his rightful owner once more. Even though it's almost a year later, the box at Alex Eleanor Pact has fulfilled its destiny. Strange Adventures of Nick Carter, Master Detective, which are brought to you regularly at the same time by WOR Mutual. What's your story going to be about next week, Nick? Well, next week I'm going to tell you the tale of the thief and murderer who had to be caught twice before he was really caught at all. And when Nick caught him the second time, it was because he was able to guess in advance exactly what the criminal was going to do as well as exactly what he was going to think. And what did you say the crime was? Merely a matter of murder and robbery. There was nothing unusual in the crime itself. The excitement came, and the way Nick chased him, outsmarted him, and finally caught him. It's a very special example of the criminal who was just a little too clever for his own good. He overrated himself and underrated Nick. That's always dangerous where Nick Carter is concerned. Back to the government. And so long till next week. So long, everybody. And so long to you both. In the strange adventure you've just heard, Nick Carter was impersonated by Lon Clark, Patsy by Helen Choate. Original music was played by Lou White, and the entire production was written and directed by Jock McGregor. Next week at the same time, listen to another curious experience of Nick Carter entitled The Unwilling Accomplice, or Nick Carter and the Mystery of the Society of Burglar. This story is a copyrighted feature of Street and Smith Publications Incorporated. This is Mutual. Stay tuned for Phil Harris and Alice Faye next on Theater of the Mind. You're listening to Theater of the Mind on Zoomer Radio, AM 740 and 96.7 FM in downtown Toronto. And now, Phil Harris and Alice Faye. Good health to all from Rexall. Yes, it's Sunday. Time for the Phil Harris Alice Fay Show. Presented by the makers of Rexall Drug Products and your Rexall family druggists. Good health to all from Rexall. And now your Rexall family druggist brings you the Phil Harris Alice Faye Show, written by Ray Singer and Dick Chevrolet, with Elliot Lewis, Walter Tetley, Robert North, Janine Roos, Anne Whitfield, Gail Gordon, Walter Scharf and his music, yours truly, Bill Foreman, and starring Alice Faye and Phil Harris. (laughs) 
Like most housewives, Alice is concerned about the high cost of living. It's been bothering her for some time. And this morning, she's decided to broach the subject to Phil. Phil, can I talk to you a minute? It's about the household bills. and Honey, please. I have no time for things like bills. I'm a musician. (laughs) An artist, honey, an artist. My mind is filled with nothing but music. Now, if you'll excuse me, I want to listen to this record. What's the name of it? The Warsaw Concerto by Shostakovich. You're going to listen to that? Certainly, and if I like the tune, I'm going to sing it on the program next week. That ought to be different. Now, look, Phil, I've got to talk to you about these bills. We're spending too much, and it's all your fault. You're too extravagant. Look at this pile of bills from Saks Fifth Avenue, John Fredericks, Hattie Carnegie. Whoops, I (laughs) picked up my pile by mistake. And I'm extravagant. Well, you are. Look at these bills. Custom-made suits, hand-painted ties, imported shoes, suede shirts. All right, all right. Watch your blood pressure. Take it easy now. Picking on me. How about this bill? $8 for manicures, $15 for finger waves, and $20 for facials, massages, cold creams, and lotions. Are you going to find fault with this one? No, no. Those items are necessities. Well, I'm glad you feel that way. Being in the public eye, I need all them things. (laughs) Besides, I'm not the only one that's extravagant. Look at these household bills. Look at this one from the grocer. Why do we need all these imported cheeses and fancy canned stuff? You won't eat anything else. (laughs) Well, how about this butcher bill? Why do we have to have steaks, chops, and prime ribs all the time? That's all you'll eat. (laughs) Oh. Well, how about this $40 milk bill, and let's see you tie that one on to me. Bill, there's no point in arguing. William suggested we cut down on meat. As our business manager, he feels we can save money there. In fact, he's out right now doing the shopping for us. Oh, well, he's doing the shopping. Uh (laughs) Fine. Ain't that ducking? I can just see him raising Mary Ned because the price of Dutch cleanser has gone up a halfpenny. (laughs) Look, Alice, I'll tell you one thing. You'd better come home with steaks because Frankie and the boys in the band are coming over for dinner tomorrow night and they'll be expecting those nice, juicy steaks I always serve. Oh, boy, I can't wait. Good morning, Philip. Well, if it ain't Bargain Boy Faye, the scourge of Safeway. How did you make out, William? I got everything you need for tomorrow night, and I... Oh, it was quite a load to carry. I'll tuck it out. (laughs) Well, give Grandma your basket, Little Red Riding Hood. (laughs) Come on, Willie, open the sacks. Let me see those steaks you got for tomorrow night. My mouth is watering for some of those good old... I didn't get steaks. I got something much more delicious. Yes, I did. <laughs> something better than steaks, huh? What are we having? Creamed codfish balls. <laughs> Creamed cod... Willie, please, don't say things like that. You know I'm a musician and I just got up. I'm in a week and... <laughs> Creamed cod... Philip. The cuts of steak you like cost $1.50 a pound. Much too expensive. 
Now, the menu I, I prepared for tomorrow night is excellent. Cream codfish balls are wonderful. They're inexpensive, nutritious, and positively delicious. Thank you, Prudence Penny. Now, <laughs> get lost, Elroy. What are you trying to do, poison my friends? With you arranging the dinner, how can it possibly be a success? It will be a success, Philip. It will. I guarantee that after a few cocktails there... I don't care what... Cocktails? <laughs> Brother William, you may return to the fold. <laughs> all is forgiven. Well, hey, are you sure you got enough to drink for all of us? Definitely, Philip. I got two whole gallons of sauerkraut juice. Is it cold? <laughs> Sauerkraut juice? Yes. Isn't it an ideal combination? Oh, Dad, Dad. <laughs> yes, indeedy. I can't wait to dunk a codfish ball into a puddle of sauerkraut. <laughs> really, Philip, I don't know why you're making all this fuss. Alice, do you see anything wrong with a combination of sauerkraut juice and cream uh, codfish? please, please, Willie. I feel a little faint myself. <laughs> Thanks for your help, brother, but I'll take over from here. Very well, Alice. I'll just carry it into the kitchen for you. Uh, shall I leave it on the table or shall I put it in the refrigerator? Just throw it on the floor. <laughs> Maybe the cat will get at it. <laughs> Willie, Frankie and the guys are coming over for steak and now... Come in! Frankie, I don't mind. He's like one of the family. He don't come over just for what he gets to eat. Ah, oh, hello, Frankie. What time do we eat, Curly? <laughs> Frankie, the dinner isn't until tomorrow night. Oh. Well, in that case, I better take off this napkin. <laughs> I could have sworn that you said tonight was the dinner. All right, all right, come on in. You can have dinner with us tonight, too. That's real nice of you, Curly. Frankie... Look, I'm glad you came over. Something's got me awful upset. Well, you're the only one I can talk to. Seems like you're the only friend I got who will listen to me. Yeah, what time did you say we're going to eat? <laughs> I didn't say. I told you that it's still three hours until dinner. You're a little over-anxious, aren't you? Of course not. I didn't come over here just to eat. Then put away the knife and fork. <laughs> Look, Remley. I got some bad news for you. Yeah? We're not having steak tomorrow night. I hope you don't mind, kid. No, that's okay, Curly. I ain't particular. I'll eat anything. If I can't have steak, I'll eat something else. What are we going to have? Cream codfish balls. <laughs> Frankie, come back here! <laughs> now, come on inside. All right, but if you ever say a thing like that to me again, I'll punch you right in the nose. <laughs> You ought to know very well it ain't my fault. Willie says that we're spending too much money on meat and he's going to arrange the menu. Willie, that's square. Suppose that means we're not going to have any drinks before dinner. Oh, yes, yes. <laughs> yes, sir. We're going to have cocktails. Good. What kind? Well, we're going to have... Excuse me. What are you doing? I got to bolt the door before I lay this one on. <laughs> Frankie, we're going to have sauerkraut juice before the codfish balls. <laughs> sauerkraut juice and codfish. Curly? What? 
I hate you. I want steak. Stop thinking of yourself all the time. Alice says steak costs her a dollar and a half a pound, and we can't afford it all the time. There you are. That's the trouble with women. They don't know how to shop. Why should she pay a buck and a half? Curly, why don't you do the shopping? You can buy in quantity like a guy I know. He bought a whole steer and he got it for 30 cents a pound. He had it cut up and packaged and he brought 30 it. 30 cents a pound, that's all. Yeah, 30 cents, that's all. Hey, I could show Alice. With a whole steer, I could have steak every day. And... Sure. Hey, wait a minute. Hey, what does a steer weigh? Pretty big, Curly. It weigh about 100 pounds. <laughs> About a hundred, huh? Cost you about 30 bucks for the whole thing. If you want one, I know a guy who's got a ranch and I can get it for you. You can? Uh-huh. Hey, look, Frankie, I'm going to buy one. Look, I can't leave now. You go over and buy it for me. Get the best meat he's got. Have it cut up into steaks and charge it to me. Okay, Curly, I'll take care of everything. Good. Now, you buy the meat and let me know as soon as you consummate the deal. Okay. <laughs> consummate? What's he expect me to get? Soup meat? <laughs> Gee, I wonder why Frankie hasn't called you. It's been gone two hours. Oh, man, I can't wait to get that meat in the refrigerator. Just think, a hundred pounds of nice, thick, juicy steaks, all cut up and neatly packaged. And... Hey, I bet that's Frankie now. Oh, I can't wait to sink my teeth into those ever-loving fillets. Hiya, Curly. Hiya, Frankie. Well, did you buy my meat? Yeah, I got it with me. Already? Well... Well, don't just stand there. Bring it in. Okay. Come on, bossy. <laughs> Frankie, what have you got there? Your meat. Beautiful hunk of bovine, ain't it? But I didn't want it that way. I wanted it all wrapped up so I could put it in the refrigerator. Okay, get a piece of paper and we'll wrap them up. <laughs> Frankie, I thought we were going to have it butchered and all cut up. Oh, this guy's just a rancher. He doesn't butcher it. Uh, Curly, it cost a little more than I expected. Instead of 30, it cost 40 cents a pound. 30, 40, 30. What's the difference? <laughs> all right. I don't mind that. Certainly it's all right. 40 cents a pound for 100 pounds Curly. is only... Curly? <laughs> what? Weighs a little more, too. <laughs> How much? 1,100 pounds. Eleven. Huh? Remley, why do you do these things to me? I never done nothing to you. I never kicked your grandmother. I never did nothing to you. What are you getting excited there? about? What are you getting 11 excited hundred. about? Instead of 30 bucks, it's costing you a measly $440. <laughs> Besides that, you got enough meat here for two years. Still cheaper than a dollar and a half a pound. Oh, I guess you're right. But what am I going to do with this animated Bull Durham sign? <laughs> eat it. Eat it. Eat it. Fine. Yeah, eat it. It's fine. Oh. I can just see him walking around the dining room table and everybody takes a bite as he goes... <laughs> eat it. Please, Curly, let's not be ubiquitous. <laughs> 
Naturally, we slaughter the animal first. Let's take him in the kitchen and get started. Frankie, we can't bring that thing in the kitchen. Well, why not? Alice is a little eccentric. She don't like to have strange steers running around the house. Antisocial, huh? It's none of my business, Curly, but at times your wife is inclined to be difficult. What's the matter with her, anyway? Well, you know how women are. She's just... Oh, shut up! You go! Why, if Alice ever saw what I bought, she'd think that I'm completely Bill. up... Bill, who rang the bell before? Hey, it's Alice. Quick, Frankie. Now, leave that steer on the porch and come on in and shut the door. Hurry up. Okay. Now, not a word to Alice. She mustn't know that you've Bill. got... Bill, Bill, did someone come... Oh, hello, Frankie. Hi, Alice. Say, you look very well. <laughs> Well, the same to you. What kind of a greeting is that? Frankie, I... 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 Who's that stomping out on our porch, Bill? Who? Oh, that's... uh, Oh, oh, honey, it's my lady harpist. (laughs) What is she wearing, army shoes? What is she doing out on the porch? Who brought her over? Your wife's a nosy little blonde, ain't she? Quiet, will you? Keep quiet a minute. Alice, listen to me. Now, the lady harpist came over to rehearse, and, um, well, she she didn't want to disturb us, so she's practicing outside. Well, I must admit she's playing it much better this week. (laughs) Bill Harris, I'm going to see who's out on that porch myself. Alice, I wouldn't go out there for... I'm going to see... Oh, for heaven's sake. Oh, Something Jim. wrong, Alice? Oh, Phil, Phil Harris, what is that horrible monster you've got out there? Oh. Huh? Oh, honey, it's... Oh, it's just a steer. What? I bought it to save money on meat. Look, now this way it only costs 40 cents a pound, and we'll have enough meat for two years. Yeah, come on, Curly, let's take it in the kitchen, cut it up into steaks, and put it in the refrigerator. No, no, now wait a minute. Don't you take that thing into my kitchen. If you want it slaughtered, take it over to the butcher. Okay, we'll take it over to the market. Come on, Curly. All right. Hey, what? Hey, Remley. How are we going to get him over there? Same way I brought him over to your house. Hey, taxi. (laughs) Frankie, you brought the steer over here in a taxi? I had to. The streetcar was too crowded. Cut that out! (laughs) Which reminds me, Curly. You owe me $28.75 for taxi. All right, all right. You'll get it. It's only a half a mile to the market. We'll walk it over. All right. Come on, bossy. See you later, Alice. So long, fellas. Gee, I'm a lucky girl. It isn't every husband who brings his wife a live steer. Oh. East is east and west is west and the wrong one I have chose. Let's go where I'll keep on wearing those frills and flowers and buttons and bows and rings and things and buttons and bows. Don't bury me in this prairie, take me where the cement grows. Let's move down to some big town where they love a gal by the cut of her clothes and I'll stand out in buttons and Buckskin or skirts that you've homespun. Oh, but I love you longer, stronger, where your friends don't tote a gun. My bones denounce the buckboard bounce and the cactus hurts my toes. 
Let's buy moose wig I'll keep using those shorts and satins and linen that shows And I'm all yours in buttons and bows Cause the city's where I feel at home And not the lone prairie My bones denounce the buckboard bounce And the cactus hurts my toes Let's vamoose where gals keep using Those silks and satins and linen that shows And I'm all yours in buttons and bows In eastern trends Where women are women in high silk hose And peekaboo clothes and French perfume That rocks the room And I'm all Hey, Ramley, we're blocking traffic. Can't you get this rump roast to move a little faster? <laughs> Maybe if you got off and pushed it, it'd help. Hey, Curly, look, we're at the market already. Already, he says, already. Hmm? It's taken us two hours to go a half a mile. Now, let's get off and take him over to meat market. I hope nobody sees us with this Hi, thing. Uh-oh. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, Julius. Hi, kid. Good to see you, Mr. Remley. <laughs> you too, Mrs. Remley. <laughs> What are you, wise guy? Mrs. Remley? It's possible. <laughs> I've seen you out with stranger looking things than that. All right, all right, you two. Break it up. Let's break it up. Hey, kid, where's the butcher that owns this meat market? He's at the market across the street buying lamb chops for his wife. He buys his meat across the street? Yeah, he can't afford to buy it here. <laughs> what do you want with him? I want him to slaughter the stare. So, you're leaving Rex all and going on the beat meat, meat business, huh? <laughs> Smart move, Mr. Harris. You'll make an excellent butcher. Wait a minute. I ain't leaving Rex all and I ain't going in the neat business either. <laughs> I knew all the time he wasn't that old. Meat business. <laughs> I'm not going in no meat business. I wouldn't know how to butcher anything. I heard your program last Sunday, and I begged to differ with you. <laughs> anyway, the butcher can't slaughter it for you. You've got to have that done by the packing company downtown. Downtown? How are we going to get them downtown? I'll rent you my delivery truck. What it'll cost you is 20 bucks. 20 bucks? Hey, Remley, this thing is adding up. Well, we gotta have the truck. Here's your 20, kid. Hey, he's actually got the dough. <laughs> he must have got your allowance from Miss Faye. Yeah, I can't get no allowance from Miss Faye. And don't worry, there's plenty more where that came from. So long, kid. Uh, wait a minute. There's something stamped on this money. There is? What does it say? This $20 bill was stolen from the place of Alice Faye. Stop it! 
Hey, Ramley, let's get out that packing house. We don't slaughter cattle for individuals as a rule, Mr. Harris, but I guess we can accommodate you this time. Oh, gee. Thanks, mister. I'll take the steer. Gee. Kind of... Kind of hate to see him go. I've... become sort of attached to him. Stop slobbering. (laughs) Go on, bossy. Go with the man. Go on. Oh, go on, will you? This ain't no attitude to take. The man ain't gonna hurt you. Oh, Frankie, how can you lie to the animal like that? <laughs> Let me talk to him. Bossy. I know, I know, I know, I know how you feel. <laughs> but but that's life. Horns up, old boy. <laughs> You've, 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 you've just got to face these things and, and, and be brave. Mr. Harris, are you related to this steer? <laughs> of course I'm not related. It just, just breaks my heart to have, you, to have you slaughter him and cut him up. Would you rather take him to a mortician and have him laid out? <laughs> But crying out loud, let the man take him. Come on, boy. You gentlemen wait here. I'll have him ready for you soon. Well, Mr. Harris, your steer has been slaughtered and cleaned. That will be $55, please. $55? But I... Oh, well, I guess it's worth it. I still have 1,100 pounds of prime beef. Not exactly. You realize in slaughtering, there's a little waste. Oh, sure, of course. Certainly. I expected that. Uh, what does it weigh now? 600 pounds. Six? But it weighed 1,100. What happened to the rest of it? Well, in cleaning, there's a shrinkage. What did you use? A cheap, dry cleaning floor? <laughs> this thing is now costing me 80 cents a pound. Oh, wait, wait, wait. That's still less than a buck and a half, Curling. We'll take our meat, mister. Like this? Don't you want it dressed? No, we'll eat it nude. (laughs) But you can't eat it like this. You have to have it dressed. All right. Oh, that's okay, mister. That's all right. Now, we'll... How much does that cost? Wait! Whisper it to me. Lay it on me lightly. (laughs) Well, it shouldn't be too much. We can have it dressed for you for $85. Who's going to dress it, Adrian? <laughs> we'll take it to the Star Outfitting Company. They do a cheaper job. Quiet. <laughs> leave the man alone. Look, mister, go ahead and dress it and cut it. Anything just so I get my steaks and chops. Steaks and chops? Don't you want any other cut of Look, anything? mister, please, don't argue with me. I don't feel too good. Will you just get me my steaks and chops? That's what you want? Very well. <laughs> Well, Mr. Harris, your steaks and chops are all cut and packaged for you. Thank goodness. Come on, Frankie. Let's get the 600 pounds on the truck before we... Right. Um, Hmm? um, Mr. 
we do have 600 pounds, don't we? Not exactly. <laughs> uh, how much? 100 pounds. You only wanted steaks and chops, you know. But only 100 pounds. I told you steer weight only 100 pounds. I told Will you keep... <laughs> Look, mister, let's forget the whole thing. Glue my steer together and I'll take him home, will you? <laughs> Brimley, you got me into all this. Buy a steer, save money, 30 cents a pound, enough for two years. Look, I never want to see you again. Mister, give me my meat. I'll take it. Like this? Oh! Oh, I know I'm a sucker for asking, but what now? Well, for this much meat, you'll have to have it quick frozen. You'll need a locker. And for only $120 a year, we can let you have one of our best lockers. <laughs> A locker yet. Look, I just want to eat this steer. I don't want him to join a country club. <laughs> I know he's a pedigreed steer, but do we, does he have to be a social butterfly? But, Mr. Harris... All right, all right. I'm too weak to argue. I'm trying to save money, and now these steaks are costing me over $7.50 a pound. Remley, this is all your fault. My fault? I can't help it if you pay black market prices for me. Yeah. You know something? If I wasn't sick, I'd punch you right yourself. in the nose. It's guys like I, you that cause inflation. You brought the steak. Like you brought a citizen. steer in my house. Keep you keep the country out of I need meat like I need a whole bag. What are you trying to tell me? I'm so sick. Now, now, take it easy, honey. He'll be all right, won't he, Doctor? Yes, he just suffered a shock to his nervous system, resulting in a slight case of high blood pressure. Mm. All he needs is rest, fresh air, and lots of nourishment. Nourishment? Well, cost me a fortune, but at least it wasn't wasted. I got a hundred pounds of meat to help build me up. Uh, Mr. Harris, one other thing. Yes. No meat for six months. <laughs> Stay tuned to this station for the Edgar Bergen Charlie McCarthy Show, which follows immediately. This is NBC, the national broadcasting company. Thanks for listening. Tomorrow night, Fibber McGee and Molly, followed by Gunsmoke. My thanks to Joel Schoenwell for technical support and executive producer Moses Neimer. I'm Frank Proctor. Have a great evening. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.